Great news for Informed Pregnancy Plus subscribers. Dive into our Core Connection course included with your subscription. Hosted by Natalie Headings, a pre- and postnatal exercise specialist and ACSM certified personal trainer, she's an incredible teacher. This five-video series equips you with essential insights to understand what your pelvic floor and core are, how they work, and how to enhance pelvic floor and core strength and proper function during and after your pregnancy and birth. Learn about pelvic floor basics, key postural adjustments, effective muscle releases, and breathing techniques for a healthier core and floor. Don't wait. Visit informedpregnancy.tv and get started with the invaluable core connection today. Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin, and hosting right beside me today, Juliet Lamar. I am right here. <laughs> Always. Uh, guys, if you like our show, do me a favor and take a moment to share with your friends and go into your podcast app. It'll take you one second. Leave us a rating and some feedback because we uh, actually respond to all that feedback and we're always happy to hear from you. Our guest today is a pediatrician with over three decades of experience in Santa Monica, California. He's the creator of the Hamilton Hold, a method for soothing crying babies, as seen on YouTube by over 30 million people. He's also the author of Seven Secrets of the Newborn, Secrets and Happy Surprises of the First Year. He's a proud father of six children and grandpa to eight more little ones. He lives right here in Santa Monica, California with his high school sweetheart, Leslie, to whom he has been married for a brief 45 years. <laughs> Dr. Bob Hamilton, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Elliot. Pleasure to be here. Uh, talk to us about medicine. Uh, when did wow. you... Uh, <laughs> let's go back a minute in time. Uh, how early in your life were you interested in medicine? You know, it's funny. Um, my father was in the Navy. My father was a guy who never got an eighth grade education. Hmm. Uh, but he went into the Navy as a young man and became uh, involved. I, I mean, he was a medic, I think, in the Navy and worked in that capacity. And I will tell you that from the time I was a young child, my father said to me, Bob, be a doctor. Uh, I, I don't know if he planted that seed in my brain or whatever, but for whatever reason, maybe I didn't want to you know, disappoint my father uh, or what. But I also had actually a fair amount of medical exposure as, as a young child, too. I, I was pretty significant asthmatic. Mm. And I remember as a young child being you know, shuttled over to the hospital to get, a, in those days, a shot of epinephrine, which cured me immediately mm -hmm. uh, hyped me up a little bit. I, have sure. to say, I think I remember being a little bit <laughs> off the wall. It's adrenaline. Adrenaline, yeah. That's what epinephrine is, full-on adrenaline. Mm. So, you know, your, your asthma went away, uh, but you were, you know, hyped up for the rest so of the night. You don't need a roller coaster. We could just inject it in you. So I think, you know, w when I look back, and I, I've actually thought that, I mean, what, what drew me to this profession? Because I've, I really thought of it, really, even when I was in junior high and high school, I thought I'm going to be a doctor. I didn't articulate it, uh, but I thought that. Um, I think it was probably those early, the early seeds that were planted in my life. 
As a Navy family, did you move around a lot? Where did you grow up? You know, no, we, that was my dad's uh, former life when he, I grew up in a little town called Eureka, California. Oh, Eureka. 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 <laughs> it's hard to not say it that way. Yeah, yeah exactly. I found it. And uh, actually, Eureka is on the state seal. If you look at California, it says Eureka. Oh, okay. And as a kid growing up, I thought oh. everybody's hometown was on the state seal. I didn't realize that Eureka <laughs> that was, was Eureka. Yours. Uh, but anyway, that was my hometown, born and raised there, and never really left Eureka hardly until I was in my 20s. We were, uh, my dad was a mill worker at, and uh, had a family of five, and we were, you know, our idea of a vacation was driving two hours to, you know, uh, a motel mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and then jumped in a swimming pool. Yeah. So, pretty humble beginning. I think a lot of people grew up that way. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we did. I can tell you, Humboldt County, that was the way we did it. You know, mm-hmm. there wasn't, we went to the rivers, we went to the the beaches, we went, we kind of went into nature. It's yeah. rich uh, for, with that nature up there, though. I mean, it's just full of it. Uh, Humboldt County is beautiful. absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Um, really, I mean, it, it's home of the redwoods. And mm-hmm. uh, so you go up there and you look at these trees that have, that have been alive for thousands of years. It's incredible. And you kind of go, there, there's an awesomeness, you know, and the and the solemnity, if you will, of these redwood groves. You walk into them and you look around and you realize, I'm I'm tiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I, I remember being tiny as a child, but I, now even as an adult, I'm I'm tiny. Yeah, it's amazing. I do yeah. sometimes think about trees, and trees in general, and those redwoods in particular, and just all the things that they've been around for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I mean, thousands of years. Yeah. Sometimes it's really just very calming to know yeah. that the world will go on. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I I have been uh, into in, in Israel where you actually go. There are some of these old olive uh, groves, the, the the Mount of you know the Mount of Olives and, and the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, there are olive trees which are literally thousands of years old, and you kind of go, "What has that tree witnessed?" Yeah, especially and over there. Over there, yeah. unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So, um, did you aim straight for medical school? I mean, you wanted to. Well, I, I wish I could say I did. You did uh, not. <laughs> I actually went one year to college and uh, dropped out uh, for a year and kind of did, you know, lived uh, kind of what people did in, in Humboldt County. I lived on a commune for a while, mm. which was kind of the thing I did. <laughs> people did in that time. And really, uh, it was actually a point of turning in my life. I said, you know what, I have to figure out what I want to do here. And uh, went back to school with an ardor, which really kind of carried me through. It turn, turns out that going to medical school is is an effort. I mean, it was it was hard to <laughs> it's break. It's not easy. <laughs> not easy, and and to get in and to to make it through that uh, that bottleneck, if you will, uh, into the into the doors of a medical school is really a tremendous amount of work. And I had to, you know, look. I lived under a book. Mm-hmm. I, I lived in a library. Uh, I spent hours and hours of my life uh, studying, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, fortunately, I I uh, had a wonderful. I got married young, and I had a wonderful wife who uh, supported me and and was there the whole time. So I'm a fortunate guy. Yeah. Did you have kids while you were in school? I did. I I my first son Josh was born. We were young. We were 22. Um, don't recommend that to everybody. <laughs> uh, I was like, wow, that's young. <laughs> well, your, your uh, prefrontal cortex is not really mature. Mature as a man, maybe about 25. Mm-hmm. Uh, my son can tell you that. Uh, maybe even now. Uh, but anyway, uh, that being said, uh, yeah, I was a senior in Davis. I, went to, I graduated from UC Davis. And I remember 
uh, having Josh and the exhilaration uh, of having a baby is unbelievable. Uh, I will tell your audience that I actually heard the your previous uh, uh, guests on your show. I listened in a little bit, and the incredible exhilaration, the joy, the fullness. I mean, I will tell you that I wept when Josh was born. Mm. Uh, I get emotional now thinking about it, but the joy of that moment, you know, blew me away. And then. And and shortly, that was in September, I went back to my senior year. Now, let me tell you, um, PCHEM <laughs> and organic chemistry and uh, physics, it doesn't really bring uh, a tear to your eye. No. Okay? <laughs> and so the, the grandeur of what I had experienced in that delivery room with my wife, you know, uh, and then going to back to <laughs> the classroom. Let me tell you, Amazing. I was, I felt, I remember thinking, I'm really glad I only have one more year to go because I don't think I'm going to make it <laughs> if I had too many, my undergraduate days I'm talking about. Yeah. And then, uh, then I had, yes, I had children in medical school too. My daughter, Noelle, uh, was born. And uh, my third year, uh, she actually became a pediatrician. She she's uh-huh. in practice with me in Santa Monica. Oh no, kidding! Very very happy about that. And uh, then my third child, uh, Sarah, was born uh, during my training in pediatrics. Wow! So three of my six children were born really during my training. Did you decide uh, early in your medical career that you wanted to do pediatrics, or did that come later? came a little bit later. I, I really, uh, I think it was a really a function, uh, Elliot, of the fact that, you know, I, I, I knew children. I, I was one of the very few people in my medical school class to actually have children. There were, there were a handful of us, mm-hmm. uh, but we were rare. And I, when I got into my pediatric rotation, uh, I did it over here. I, I went to medical school at UCLA. So I did my pediatric rotation at Cedars. And I remember being there and feeling like, I belong. I, mm. I know. I know what a child. I can pick up a child, and I, and the confidence that I had at that point, two children, um, of picking up a child and dealing with them and handling them. People would look at me and go, "Wow, you really know children." And I go, "Yeah, I kind of do." You know, I have a couple of them in my home. You know, I, I do this when I go home too. You live with them. <laughs> Um, yes. Yeah, so then to after you finish, like, what's the structure? You do basic four years of medical school. Yes. Um, you get your undergraduate degree, which I did from Davis. I, I got it in biochemistry. And then I came to UCLA in medical school, was one of, uh, I think our class was about 150 oh, wow. uh, students. And then you do four years of medical school. Uh, at that point, you graduate with a medical degree, MD, MD. and you can do nothing. Right. You, have, you, <laughs> you do nothing. You have this degree. You can you pay debt. On, you can pay your debt and you can hang it on the wall. But you have to do, in California, you have to do an internship. Okay. So at that, really, it is during your fourth year that you're, third and fourth year, you're beginning to make a decision about what, you know, avenue you want to go in. Do you want to mm. do internal medicine, uh, pediatrics, uh, OBGYN? There's a number of different, radiology, surgery, a whole bunch of different avenues, that, of course, you can go into. And um, looking back, I, I really think that when I did my pediatric rotation, I, I loved it. I loved it. I, I love the uh, the idea of, of of working with children. Uh, you, by definition, are working with young f- mothers and fathers who mm. are hopeful people. They're people who are having children. Uh, they're people who are, you know, by definition, if you have a child, you're you're thrusting yourself into another generation. Mm-hmm. And to do that, 
albeit some people it, it, hands, it happens without much forethought, I understand. <laughs> but uh, for people who are intentional, which we hope that most, most people are, uh, this is a big deal. But they're, that means, by definition, they're moving into a, um, they're moving forward in their life, and and it's wonderful to be around those those kind of people. Do you think that you would have gone into pediatrics if you had not had children mm. of your own? It's a very good question. I, I kind of think that maybe I would have gone into like family practice because mm. uh-huh. I I'm a little bit of a of a jack of all trade. You know, I, I like to know a lot about a lot, and. I think that that would have been more more of my destiny, to be honest with you. I also, I'm I hearken from a small town, yeah, and we don't have a lot of specialists. Mm-hmm. We have the people who physician. took care of me. Yeah, exactly. They were family physicians. Mm-hmm. I mean, that seems like a a narrowing field. The mm-hmm. family physician. Uh, I know one here, but um, mostly people just love to go to specialists. I think that family practice in in a big urban area like this is really tough because mm-hmm. there are people, you know, in this town who are specialists in everything. And right. so you can really go to people who really are the the experts in their field. And I, but I will tell you that in the in the real world out there in the in rural America, uh, family practitioners are wonderful, wonderful people. Yeah. And and I know I know many of many of them here who I refer to in Lo, in Los Angeles as well who are highly skilled. They're not doing everything anymore. I don't think they're doing as much OBGYN. Yeah. Maybe they're they're beginning to really kind of specialize within their world of family practice, but the avenues that they have and the value, my gosh, they're valuable people. We have an episode yeah. on family medicine and it's, yeah, it's, it's just interesting. That up, yeah. Yeah, uh, Dr. Stephanie Canali. And it's just, uh, it's interesting because she's sort of like the general contractor of the medical people in your life. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. I think what happens when you run from specialist to specialist is you sometimes don't have that glue holding it all together, looking at all the moving pieces and totally. organ- yeah. orchestrating that. that. No, uh, Stephanie is a friend of mine, and I will tell you I refer people to Stephanie. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's great. And and you know what? You're right, Elliot. I think that there there's that sense of who's really following, who's really knowing who I really am yeah. because you're going from one to another. And to a degree, I'm a general pediatrician. You mm-hmm. know, We have that to a degree in our field as well. We hand off our patients to pediatric cardiologists or endocrinologists or whatever. And sometimes I, I think the patients may be confused who their doctor really is. That's a big problem. I think it's like if your pinky hurts, it could it could be because you broke your pinky, or it could be because you're stressed. And you know, there's so many different factors that go into why your body's reacting a certain way, and that's getting lost a lot. Like sometimes the big picture gets lost. The, the big picture gets totally lost, and that's We're a great just episode. Just looking there. Yeah, exactly. Um, medicine changes pretty quickly mm-hmm. from day to day, week to week, month to month. Uh, you've been in it for a minute. Mm-hmm. How has pediatrics changed uh, during the time that you've been practicing? Um, great question, and I think that there are, there are. I think the most important things are number one. Um, I think we have to say that the vaccinations uh, have really radically changed. Uh, I think the number of vaccinations. Uh, I know. I, mean, I know <laughs> for a fact that this is really increased by a huge number. A little bit overwhelming, I have to say, to my mm-hmm. patients because things like you know, for example, chickenpox. When we were kids, when I was a kid, I will speak for myself, I had chicken box. Mm-hmm. We all did. We had measles. <laughs> we had mumps. We had all this stuff. And um, that was kind of the rite of passage. And we don't have that anymore. We have a vaccination against chicken box. 
we actually have, uh, you know, in chickenpox is only one example. We have uh, vaccinations now against uh, a bacteria. Nobody knows about it, but called Haemophilus influenza type B, HIB. Mm-hmm. The Hib. That's right. And the Hib, uh, the Hib was not there when I began my medical career. And I will tell you that sadly, we would, uh, when we were on call, you know, kids would come into the emergency room, high fevers, uh, very, very sick. We would do a lumbar puncture. It would come out pus, yeah. uh, purulent, um, you know, horrible CSF, uh, spinal fluid. And uh, that child had HIB meningitis. Mm-hmm. A common, you know, occurrence in young children at that point uh, in time. We saved them. We were able to give them antibiotics and kind of pull them back from the edge. But many of these, many of these uh, children went home uh, blind or uh, neurologically impaired or, or, you know, hearing loss. This is a, a tr- tragic uh, thing that happened, I will tell you, not un- infrequently in this city in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And so we have a HIB uh, vaccination now. And I will tell you, Elliot, that that has radically changed. I have not seen a kid with HIV meningitis really for 20, 25 years now. That's great. Huge. This is a major breakthrough. And so, you know, vaccinations, listen, uh, there are people out there who who feel that they're they're not good or whatever. They're they're confused by them. I I have to tell you, I stand unashamedly and foursquare behind the idea that vaccinations are progress. As much progress as when we look at our cell phones, we we the miracle of our cell phones. Well, that technology that has gone on to, into cell phones, medicine has been on the forefront of technology too. You have mm-hmm. to realize that. Thank God, mm-hmm. we live in 2019, and not you know 1919. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. there was a flu that just ravished the world in 1918, 1919 that knocked off millions and tens of millions of people around the world, the Spanish flu. And um, the reality is that kind of stuff doesn't happen in our world today. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's been in my lifetime, Elliot, and I think that that has been a tremendously you know, positive, powerful thing. Look, other things have happened in the world. I think there's a lot more anxiety mm-hmm. <laughs> raising children, mm-hmm. which is one reason why I ended up writing a book. We'll talk about that later. But really, the, the amount of anxiety that people feel about raising children in the old days, people had kids. Okay, you have, you know, <laughs> the parents, you know, okay, you're on your own. Go, you know, I, I remember as a child, now I, I just may date myself, but I remember as a kid, literally five, six, seven years of age, I mean, leaving my home for hours at a time mm-hmm. and walking around the neighborhood. With no and, GPS tracker? No, no. <laughs> my mother, my, I mean, we were blocks away from my mother. We were playing with kids. We were doing crazy things. We were in the woods, you know. I mean, this was Humboldt County, of course. But I'm telling you, it was a great life. Mm-hmm. What do you think is causing the, the change of anxiety? Because it's not just in cities. I can see how, okay, well, you grew up in Eureka. It's a much more community-driven place with nature, you know, not necessarily safer, but at least no one's going to kidnap you as easily. But it's a change that we see everywhere. Why do you think this anxiety is being risen? I think the culture is is in the culture. I, I can't explain it. I, I will tell you one thing. I, I, this is a kind of random, maybe off our, off topic here, but a couple of, a month ago, I was actually in the Golan Heights in Israel. And I happened to be with friends of mine, a beautiful family here from Los Angeles who went aliyah, uh, which means they went up or they went to, that meant they moved to Israel. Okay. (laughs) All right. So anyway, I had promised to visit them for many years and we we did. And 
I will tell you that we got there and the place was unbelievable. It's a beautiful little, they call it a moshav, mm-hmm. okay, which is like a little settlement out in the middle of nowhere on the border of Syria. By the way, we walked over and looked at the, at the wall uh, between Syria and, and Israel. It's amazing. And there were kids everywhere, everywhere. They were running around. I kind of go, and it, it, it took me back to my childhood. I thought, wow, we don't see this. I think to a degree the, the culture, you know, the way we live. Now, listen, a moshav in Israel is kind of like the shtetl in eastern Poland or something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like a little communities that we lived in. Think about L.A. Think about how we live. Think about we live in these homes which are kind of far away from each other. we got to drive places to visit our friends. That sense of community that I, ha- I remember having as a child. I really did. And what I saw in the Golan, it was the same thing. I mean, you know, we were, there were, all the people were, you know, people were kind of like wandering into the house, you know, who are you? Where are you, where are you coming? <laughs> this is, you know, this fluidity and, and, the, and the number of kids and people and now he's in, in chaos. It was total chaos. But it, it took me back to my childhood. And I, and I think that the culture has radically changed in terms of our connectedness to each other. Mm-hmm. And whether that is spawning anxiety, I don't, I don't know. I think that I think people have are anxious, you know, all over the world all the time. To be honest with you, but uh, that sense of delight and community that I felt over there, I have to tell you, Elliot, it was like a, it was a flashback. It's kind of interesting too, because like at the same time, there's civil war going on right over the yeah. hill. Yeah. That you can sometimes hear and see with the you know tanks going by and helicopters flying over and the kids are still <laughs> still playing yeah. playing outdoors with less anxiety. Um, <laughs> but I think I think the community issue, the the information overload, the constant dramatization of whatever's happening in the world. That's what I was saying about the redwoods. Like mm-hmm. you you watch cable news and you know you, I was <laughs> I was at somebody's house doing a home visit one time and they were watching cable news and every story that came on had the dramatic bum 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 and <laughs> special alert. This yeah. is, the world is coming to an end. Bum. And then I noticed something. I was like the first commercial that came on was, was for like a waffle place. And then the second commercial came on and it said, do you have high blood pressure? And I'm like, I didn't before I started watching this newscast, you know. But it's just that's what we're exposed to 24-7 on the screens, on the phones, on the tablets, on the, yeah. you know. And it's just like you can't shut that out and just go into nature and enjoy your spot in the universe for the time that we have to be here. So I think that creates a lot of anxiety too. Yeah. Um, and then also I wonder in my mind as much as our relatives can get on our nerves sometimes if not living in the village you know being supported and surrounded by your loved ones as you raise children um, also creates quite a bit of anxiety for us we're kind of out on our own and yeah we are and and uh, I will tell you that I you know family's important family's very important and when you start having children and you feel that sense of being alone in the world and definitely there are a lot of people who are raising children people who are listening to my voice right now who feel alone in the world they don't have their parents, and for whatever reason, their parents, you know, we live in a very mobile world, communi- uh, society now. People are, you know, it's not uncommon for families to be completely d- divided between East Coast, West Coast, you know, all over. And other countries. And other countries. Other yeah. countries. It's unbelievable. So, uh, you know, the old idea, you know, I, I will tell you a little uh, anecdote, and that is I have a family in my practice, um, sweet family. And they have a couple kids, and they actually bought the lot next to her parents. Mm-hmm. And they tore the, the fence down. They built a new home, 
And so these young children actually run back and forth oh, between nice. the homes of their their grandparents mm-hmm. and their parents. They've tore the you know they have a big yard, <laughs> bigger yard. Right. And you know what? Uh, and the parents are great people, but they also have that incredible support from uh, from parents who are right there across the who, yard. <laughs> yeah, who can actually you know they can go out to dinner. And not call a babysitter and say, "Hey, mom and dad, come over and watch your kids." Or you know, kids go will run over to you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah get, get over, mom and you know, grandma, grandpa's guy. We're gonna go out to dinner, and that that freedom and that that wonderful <laughs> sense of community that they have created, and you can it can be done here in L.A. and people do it. You know, look, there are great. You might not need as much Xanax. Yeah. You see? Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, uh, as someone who doesn't have kids yet but lives in Los Angeles, that's one of the things that gives me anxiety about having kids is not having the village, mm-hmm. like. Once I do this, it's like my husband and I, and our family's pretty close, um, but at the same time, they're not next door. You know, we would, we would have to do all that, and that's something that I think a lot of people my age are thinking about. Like, I have to put everything on hold because there is no backup plan once yeah. you have this kid. Yeah, people end up hiring the village. That's why mm-hmm. the doodle of the childbirth educator, lactation consultant. But that is so much on. money, and then you're like, Oh, yeah. it's a lot of money, but <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying that's where all those professions came, came from, from because yeah. we don't live yeah. with them anymore. All right, let's take a, a very quick break. We're going to be right back with Dr. Bob Hamilton. <laughs> This episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb. As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby. Not even diaper rash. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're talking about Dr. Bob Hamilton. Um, I want to talk about the Hamilton Hold, and I want to talk about your... Awesome new book, Seven Secrets of the Newborn. But before we get there, give me some practical tips. Someone who's about to have a kid looking mm-hmm. for a pediatrician, what are some of the things that you look for in that interview? It's a very good question. And and what you do, and you should interview the, the pediatricians, and most uh, pediatricians in the west side of Los Angeles actually do make that available for people who come into their office and check it out and meet them and, and talk to them. What you, you you should look for someone that you kind of resonate with. You you kind of have you have a conversation, and, and I think that most people get a, a feeling for other people when they talk to them, eyeball to eyeball, and that is important. Uh, you should find a pediatrician who's there. Uh, you can find people who are highly regarded or well known or f- even famous, but it, do they actually do the job? And what I mean by that is that there are people who are you know all over the world doing different things, lectures and whatever, and they're well-known, but are they really actually in the office doing the work? That, that's actually important. Uh, definitely availability. Are, are the pediatricians there 
you know, what are their hours? Are they, I, I actually believe the weekends are important too because kids don't know what day of the week it is. So oh, really? They actually they don't not get sick on Saturday they and Sunday? Don't. Oh. They're not born on that time either. Hmm. They're actually born, you know, <laughs> usually at the wrong time. But, um, you, you know, and the other thing too, I think that people need to be available. If you're, they're not in the building, they need to be available by telephone. Accessible. To, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, accessible. That's important. Um, Certainly, uh, you want to find someone who is current medically that they're, you know, and you can ask them. People ask me all the time, you know, do you go to conferences? Mm. Do you, are you, do you read books? Mm-hmm. Do you, you know, and that is a legitimate question to ask your doctor. Well, like we said earlier, medicine changes very, yeah. fairly quickly. All, all the time, it's, literally. Uh, so those are the important things. And, and to really, if you really want to choose, and I, <laughs> I, I say this with a little bit of trepidation, uh, but if you you can also do this, call the the head nurse of the hospital <laughs> yeah. in labor and delivery and in the nursery at your local hospital wherever you are, people, and say who do you guys recommend over there? That's a real gem of a tip. And yeah. they they'll go well and don't and not one person but maybe two maybe three names. Call the night shift. Call the day shift. Call a couple you know call a couple of hospitals. There will be names that will pop up. Again and again. again, and again. Yeah. Go talk to them because the truth be told, people can BS you. We mm-hmm. all know that. Yeah. And you uh, mean not everything I read on Google is. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can get a bad, <laughs> a bad Yelp review or whatever. Yeah. But the point is that these are people who work with the doctors day in, yeah. day out. They know them. They know how they practice. They know their temperament, and they will tell you the truth. Are there things that people freak out about um, new parents because with the, you know. When my first born was born, my son came out. Um, after he came out, there was the placenta came out maybe 10 minutes later. And I kept waiting. I thought there was going to be like an owner's manual and <laughs> maybe like a 100% money back guarantee. <laughs> None of that came out. So it's sort of like. It didn't come out of your wife, you mean? You're yeah. yeah. Well, okay. It came yeah. out of no okay. place. No <laughs> place. Just, Nowhere. Okay. No matter where I looked, I am though. That's funny. So you sort of kind of, you know, on your own for a little bit and you have this human life to take care of and, and they don't talk, they yell at you, but it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like you're not sure what to do a lot of the time. Are there things that parents sometimes get really nervous about and call in the middle of the night that really aren't that concerning or vice versa? Something like, hey, if you see this, you should really reach out. You know, uh, yeah, people get nervous about a lot of things. And uh, I, I, my rule about reaching out to me is a very simple rule because you have to give the parent the benefit of the doubt. And my rule is this. If you're worried, you call. Mm-hmm. Period. I have no corollary. You must get a lot of calls. <laughs> well, uh, I, my, I, I do have one secondary rule, which okay. is if you're not worried, don't call. Okay. Fair okay. enough. <laughs> and so the reality is that parents, they don't know, but they're, they're, the learning curve is quite steep. And young people who have children, they're completely, they go, what? They don't know what they're, they don't know what they're doing. Even if they, if, even if they're a doctor or whatever, whoever they are, they don't really don't know because having a child is so intense. Um, that is when you need a mother uh, or a doula or somebody mm-hmm. to kind of step in and help you. And, and those people, if they're in your life, you're fortunate, believe yeah. me. But, um, no, people get worried about a lot of things. I mean, you, get, you know, how many bowel movements their kid had that day? How, you know, temperature is a big issue. How much they're sleeping, how much they're, whatever they're doing. I will tell you that there are, uh, you know, people, uh, they, don't, they don't have that plumb line yet set up in their life. In other words, I tell people after a while, there's a plumb line of normalcy 
in every child. And mothers will figure it out very quickly, mm-hmm. very quickly. And fathers by the time they're in college. Fathers, <laughs> you know, yeah. Fathers are, have a different job. They have a different job. <laughs> Hunt and gather. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you, you know exactly what I mean. Anyway, uh, if, if you're worried, you call the doctor. Yeah. I, I do think that, that we all have sort of like a deep instinctual voice. It's a quiet little voice that kind of tells you everything's okay or everything's not okay. But our brains are so clouded with information that we don't often hear that voice. And mm. so that's why I think we get nervous more often than we probably need to. And then sure, better, better be safe than sorry. But I, it's true, having four kids, so uh, over time... I even become in tune with that plumb line. I mean, I, I was a EMT before I became a chiropractor, and so I generally stay pretty calm in pretty intense situations and have a pretty good feel for when things are okay versus not okay, just street smart right. kind of feel. Right. But when I had my own kids, it took a minute, even though I have that training, it took a minute to trust it. And so, yeah, and by yeah. a minute, I mean like 12 years. So <laughs> Yeah, no, I, 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 have, I have walked into the emergency rooms at, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning with my own child as a pediatrician. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about on my, in my, I'm on staff at this hospital and say, my baby has a fever. Would you please look at him? Yeah. <laughs> and they look at me and they go, Hamilton, you're the pediatrician. <laughs> <laughs> I know that, but please look at my child. It's, I, hard, to, it's hard to doctor your own family. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's really hard to yeah. separate yourself. Uh, all right, so t- let's talk about YouTube. Uh, when you started pediatrics, there was no YouTube. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it was YouTube. not even MySpace. Um, so, <laughs> there, was there dial-up? There probably wasn't dial-up. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you end up on YouTube, and you take in this screaming baby, and you hold the baby in a pretty unique way. Right, and the baby is all of a sudden very quiet and happy. I almost felt like I wish sometimes at nighttime when I'm trying to fall asleep, I wish I was small enough for Doctor Bob to hold me like that. That's my, my next video, Elliot. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's coming. I, yeah. I just have to kind of work on it. After you try holding me like that, I will fix your back. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, how did you even get to put it on YouTube? Like, how did I? First go? of all, how, is that a hold that you've just? developed over time yeah. that you... You know, he, here's what happened. As a pediatrician, you make babies cry, okay? You look mm-hmm. at them and, and the oddness of, you know, a cold stethoscope and, you know, feeling them and everything, they all cry. And so when they cry, to have a meaningful conversation with a parent, I, I felt like I needed to make them not cry, okay? <laughs> so I'm a father. I feel very comfortable with children picking them up and holding them. So I would just naturally kind of pick up a child to try to comfort them, okay? I'm talking about... In the room, after the mother's had the baby, she's laying in a bed. I'm, I'm on the other side of the room examining her child. So I would naturally pick up the child and comfort them myself, okay, mm-hmm. rather than racing the child over to the mother. So I would do that. And over time, I just kind of begin to develop this funny little thing of picking them up and holding their arms. Basically, I'm swaddling their arms. All, that's all I'm doing. That's what it looks like, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm swaddling them with swaddle. their arms in the front. Exactly, yeah. And I hold them at that, you know, 45-degree angle so they don't fall out of my hands. And I grab their little bottom and shake it up. <laughs> and uh, you know what? I, I, you know, I think that we, you know, Harvey Karp, my friend, t- calls that the calming reflex. Uh-huh. And I completely agree. You definitely calm them down. I, I also think uh, I'm overwhelming them neurologically. I think they're kind of going, what is going on <laughs> to my, my body? There's a lot right of sensory. Now. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot There's a lot going on. And, and whatever it is, I don't really care what's going on in their brain. <laughs> I really, I mean, I shouldn't say that. But, <laughs> I, you know, but, uh, but whatever it is, boom. They, they will, they will if you do it right, I'm telling you, 
I, I'm not bragging here. I'm telling you, they quiet down, and uh, it really does work quite well. So I, I did that for you know many, many years, and what happened is my patients said to me, hey, Bob, why don't you put that on YouTube? Mm-hmm. Uh, now, mind you, I, I didn't really know... What YouTube was? <laughs> well, kind of. I, mean, I, I, don't, you know, I kind of vaguely knew what YouTube was, but I wasn't like, how do I put something on YouTube? Uh-huh. I, I didn't know how to do that. So anyway, I, I finally said to myself, uh, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make that video. So it's kind of like a to-do, you know, you kind of check off your to-do <laughs> list. On your list, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm make Before a YouTube God, video. I promise, that was what it was. Oh, really? <laughs> that was what it was. It was not like I had this scheme of, I'm going to make a a video that's going to be seen by. I, I would have been happy if that video would have been seen by ten thousand people. That mm-hmm. was my. I did have a goal. It was ten thousand people. Well, what happened, of course, is now amazing, and it took took off and it went viral. Uh, viral to, as a doctor means that you've got a bad cold, <laughs> different kind of viral, <laughs> yeah, or you've got you di- or you got diarrhea, yeah, yeah. <laughs> something something bad. Your video's gone viral. Yeah, you gotta go, oh no. <laughs> Anyway, so it did. It did go, uh, you know, happily. So look, it, it was happy. Uh, it has helped people all over the world, literally. And uh, people in New York saw it. They liked it. They, I got to go on Good Morning America. I got to go. I got. I got to meet Doctor Oz, who, mm-hmm. who's by the way a great guy. Yeah. I'll tell you. And Fox and Friends invited me on. I got to do the whole thing, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And in the aftermath of that, uh, then. Uh, St. Martin's Press, also in New York, uh, came up to me and said, would you like to write a book? And I thought about it, and I thought, well, let me think. You know, what can I write a book about? And, of course, what I know best is children. And so I came back to him and said, you know what? I've been in practice for 30 years. I do have something to say to the community about babies. And uh, so we made a deal and took me two and a half years to write it. I hired a ghostwriter to help me, uh, Sally Collins, who's a phenomenal lady. And we worked together for a couple of years. And uh, last September, it was published. And uh, It's like you had a baby. Yeah, I was going like, to say, congratulations. <laughs> with, a, with an elephant gestation of two <laughs> yeah. and a half years. <laughs> yeah, that's what it, what it kind of felt like, too, let me tell you. What are some of the key things that we, we would find in your book? You know, my book is kind of good old-fashioned common sense. Uh, I will tell you the thesis of my book is not necessarily in the title. My thesis is this. Children are wonderful. They're great. Don't miss out. You're going to fall in love. It'll change your life. Have fun with them. Um, but I am concerned about people missing out on, mm-hmm. on children. Uh, I mean that because uh, the number of babies who are being born in our culture right now is actually at, a, at a, the lowest ever in California history. I think mm. you know that probably. Uh, this is real. And I, I have women who come into me in their mid-30s having their first child. And they look at me and, they, and I talk to my patients. How do you feel about being a mother? And they look at me and, and with tears in their eyes say, why didn't anyone tell me? Why, why are not people talking about babies? And I go, what do you mean? And they go, I'm so happy. I'm so overwhelmed. This is incredible. Why, why is our culture not telling people to have babies? And I, you know, I've had more than one conversation like that. And I, I looked at these moms and said, you know what? I thought to myself, I'm going to be the one to tell them. I'm going to be the one to go out and tell people. So really, uh, my book is a, is a pro-child book, if you will. It's, mm. a, it's, you know what, kids are great, and uh, don't miss out. Uh, we need them in the culture. And uh, they, they radically change you. 
they change you from the inside out. Uh, they, they actually enlarge who you are in so many ways. You, yeah, for, for all you, they humble you because they're, they're not overwhelmed by who you are, your degrees or anything, anything about you. They're, they just want what they want. And so you learn to be empathetic. You learn, to, you learn a lot be, being a parent. So anyway, that's kind of the essence of my book. There are a lot of practical things there. I tell people, don't buy a bunch of stuff in the first month of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't, please don't buy any clothes for your one-week-old baby because <laughs> they'll outgrow them in, in one week. Another week, yeah. Another week. <laughs> you, know, you don't need a whole lot. Uh, the first month should be what I call a skin-to-skin extravaganza. It should be a time to embrace your child and love your child and look at them and tell them they're great and hold them and caress them and, and just enjoy the, the wonder of life. Mm-hmm. It's a book, uh, you know, as I, I went through the book a little bit, it's a book that I think is really great to read before the baby arrives mm-hmm. <laughs> um, as sort of uh, – because I think when the baby comes, it's kind of like part four to the chiropractic boards. I don't know how the medical boards are, but the the earlier parts of the chiropractic boards are pen and paper tests, right? But part four is a practicum. So you actually uh, go from room to room where they have um, actors as patients and – you're given all sorts of labs and x-rays and imaging, and you're supposed to put together a clinical case and make uh, clinical diagnoses, decision-making, differential diagnoses, and set up treatments and things like that. It's a kind of test you've never taken before in your whole life. And so I never did board review for any of the earlier parts of the board exam. But for part four, I felt like I needed to do a board review because I just was having these dreams of like, I don't understand how this test works even. I don't understand what I'm going to do when I get there, the mechanics of the test. And when I did board review and I explained how it all works, then I the data wasn't a problem for me. I went in and I did the boards. But my I guess my nightmare was that I'm going to show up to this big test and not have any idea, <laughs> right? And that's in retrospect a little bit how I felt when my first child was born. Mm-hmm. And so to have a book like this to kind of just read during the peaceful part of pre-parenting when the baby's still brewing in there, when the baby's still cooking, um, I think it gives you sort of like a driver's permit, enough information that you can kind of go out there with just enough confidence to kind of like maybe sloppily drive down the street, <laughs> but not harm anybody, you know? Yeah, and, it's about right. <laughs> and, then, and then you learn through experience. Like yeah, the more you, you do, do it, the more you learn, and you have a good pediatrician behind you, then, you know, you, you have the full complement. So I think it's a really nice book, and you obviously you have this wealth of experience um, starting with your own children, and um, your progression through having children seems to have led you into pediatrics and, and, and now led one of your children into pediatrics right. with you. That must be really gratifying too. Tremendous. And eight, eight, I don't, don't forget eight grandchildren too. Eight right. grandchildren. Eight grandchildren and uh, nine on the way. Number oh, nine. wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. So my life is completely surrounded by children. In my mind, that's just like even a, a lot of names to remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a, lot of, a lot of names, a lot of birthdays. A lot of yeah. birthdays. My wife and I practice that, by the way. We practice. The names and birthdays? Well, the, no, not the names. We got, we got the names down. The names are, we got the names down. But the birthdays, we actually do practice. You know, we kind of quiz each other. A little quizlet? <laughs> yeah. You have to. <laughs> I don't know. We, we just plug them into Google Calendar and get, <laughs> get a reminder. Better way. Yeah. Um, well, I really appreciate your coming and sharing mm-hmm. your uh, your Delight. information and and your expertise with us and with our listeners. Uh, where can we find you online? Uh, I'm online at Robert Hamilton, MD. 
www.newbornsecrets.com and also sevensecretsofthenewborn.com. And all over YouTube. And on YouTube, <laughs> yes. Yeah, go YouTube. Oh, thanks for joining us, Dr. Bob and Juliet. Thanks for being here with me. Yep. Again, at mm-hmm. home, if you have questions or topics, and we're getting a lot of them now. People are sending in topic requests. Uh, we read every single one of them. We reply to pretty much all of them. And we make episodes based on the information that you're seeking. So reach out to us at info at informedpregnancy.com. I got a whole lot of questions for you. This kid's gonna test my will. I got a lot to learn and my babies too. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike. Dr. Mom Butt Bomb. As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby. Not even diaper rash.